So we're going to talk about sin today. 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. So if you have your Bibles, join me there. We've been uh, just started a series on genuine Christianity, which means there can be a counterfeit Christianity. And then there's a real Christianity. And today we're going to continue this series and we're going to talk about genuine Christianity and sin. So we're in 1 John. I don't like to just drop into a book and preach without finding the context and some of the background issues that are surrounding that. So let's look at the background. First of all, John, the son of Zebedee, uh, the writer of the gospel too, uh, Scholars are divided, so you get this broad date of 85 to 95 uh, A.D. Anywhere in that ballpark's probably good. False teaching, denying the humanity of Christ. We'll get into that in just a minute. But it was in form of Gnosticism, and we'll talk about that. The purpose that you might know you have eternal life, and the word know uh, is significant. Considering we only have five chapters, think about this, five chapters, and the word know is used 33 times in five chapters. That is significant. So the issue here is, in 1 John, the issue is the idea of Gnosticism. And when I use that word, you say, well, Pastor, what's Gnosticism? It really means knowing ones. So at the time that John wrote this epistle, Gnosticism had reached a full-blown state. It was sweeping, actually sweeping through the churches. And so John decided to write to counter that. It's evident when you look at John chapter, 1 John chapter 1, and I'll read it, that which we have seen from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and which we have touched with our hands. The Gnostics believed, the Gnostics believed that the spirit is good and matter is evil. So we are matter. Therefore, it would have been impossible for Jesus Christ to take up human form because he is matter. So the Gnostics developed this system where Jesus did not really go to the cross. He gave the appearance of it. It wasn't a real physical Jesus. And that became problematic. And so John, he writes here right at the beginning, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard with our ears, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have touched with our hands, comes into line with a countering of the Gnostic belief that Jesus was only a figment. Uh, he was a... Uh, uh, a transposed individual uh, he wasn't real and John is saying to his audience and also to the false teachers no Jesus was real he was a real person spiritual this is their not me <laughs> this is not me this is the Gnostics belief spiritual quality is not obtained by holy living but by a special knowledge it didn't really matter how you lived your life. That's really not what it's about. It is about having a special knowledge 
uh, and this special knowledge will then in turn uh, enables the person to rise above the earthly life. The sin of the world escapes the sin. Since the spirit is good and matter is evil, the only way to do that is to rise above with the knowledge. I like what D. Edmund Hebert said in his commentary about this. The Gnostic Christ was not a savior. And I believe this is a beautiful statement. He was a revealer. He came to it for the express purpose of communicating his secret gnosis. And the gnosis is knowledge. So Christians didn't have the right way to God. We had the right way to God. We have this special knowledge. Jesus was not so much the Savior. He came to reveal that knowledge to us. And therefore, when you get that knowledge, you are not actually sinning. It, it, you are rising above that, and you're able to get above the sin of the world. Now, for us believers, that's extremely difficult because the Bible teaches us that we're sinners and that Jesus came and died on the cross to pay for our sins. And so we launch into this now. John addressing one of the central issues of Gnosticism, starting in verse 8. So he's just got through saying... We've seen, we've heard, we've touched Jesus. He was real. He really came to this world. And I'm going to counter everything that the Gnostics are teaching. Now, the first point is that we do sin. That is a reality. Now, John writes here, if we say we have no sin, <laughs> that's an interesting statement in the Greek language. If is the word aeon in the Greek language. And when you, when you look at the Greek language, you have four classes of if statements. The first class assumes that the statement is true. You could almost say since, since we say we have no sin. And that would mean that the statement was true. But John here uses the second class conditional. And what that refers to is it assumes that the statement is false. And that's what we have here. The word no is oo, so aeon oo, and that means not. It's a marker of negation. So John is saying, you guys are lying. There's no way that you can make a statement that you do not sin since you are in the body. And the Gnostics were absolutely right on one front. Matter is evil. Physical life is evil. We're born in sin. Go all the way back to Genesis Chapter 3, the fall of mankind. And so, yes, in one sense, we are sinful. Matter is evil. Uh, when we're redeemed, the, sark still come, the flesh still comes into play in our lives. So he's saying, look, the statement that you're making, if we say we have no sin, is false. Harmatia is the word for sin, which means not guilty of sin. <laughs> so what they're really saying here is we're not guilty. It's impossible for us to be guilty because matter is evil and we've got this special knowledge and we're going to rise above and we're going to be good to go. That's how you get to heaven. Colin Cruz in his commentary writes this. We would have to say that the Gnostics were claiming not that they were nature free from their sin principle, but that they were not guilty of committing sins. 
We're not, this body is sinful. There's nothing we can do about it. Therefore, when we have this knowledge, we don't have to worry about the body. So you can actually live any way you want to live and still be okay because it's actually the body doing it. They probably meant that they had not sinned since they came to know God and experienced the anointing. I know we look at this and we go, that's crazy, but there are some charismatic churches today there are some charismatic churches today that believe, and even Charles Finney, who started Oberlin College, believed that you could reach a state of sinless perfection. And then there's those on the other end. We see so many denominations today falling. What used to be unacceptable uh, is now become acceptable and the norm. All the stuff that's happening today uh, seems crazy. Because in the world today, there is no absolute truth. Well, I'm here to tell you, today we have the absolute truth in Jesus Christ. He is the absolute truth. So John addresses the issue of denial. Just flat out denial. I don't sin. And in 34 years of pastoral ministries, uh, I've heard that to some degree. And if there's a loving God, how could he condemn me and so forth and so on. But we read in the Bible, particularly in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us. And that's why Jesus came. He came physically, born in a manger, born in human flesh, God among us, and he took that sinless life and he went to the cross and he paid for our sin. This, uh, this denial, John follows up, with deception and we look at 8b if we uh, if we say we have not sinned we deceive ourselves and here's the real danger and the truth is not in us if we deceive ourselves Gnostics and maybe some that they had uh, maybe influenced a little bit to start believing this this lie, if we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Deceive, plain all. And that means to be mistaken or wrong about something. Uh, so if we get to this point where we're wrong about it, it is a deception. Now this word also refers to a path. So, you have two ways of living. You can either live the right way, or you can live the wrong way. And this word, deception, not only carries the idea that you're mistaken, but it also carries the idea of veering off, taking a wrong path. And so many, so many in our world today believe that they're on the road to heaven when really they're not. Uh, so many different religions and cultures believe uh, in Buddha and whoever, believe that they're on their way to heaven when they're actually on the wrong path. They're deceived. They've bought a lie. And again, one of my favorite theologians, I don't always get to quote him because I only have so many of his books, but 
He said the verb denotes a leading astray from a right path and implies a serious departure from the truth. It is not a simple mistake, but an action that will have serious consequences unless the person gets back on the right track. So people, even Christians, now we're not talking about, uh, in a sense it's written to believers, but ultimately John here is attacking this idea that somehow you can reach a sinless state of perfection, uh, rising and meaning that you have this special knowledge and you're above all this sin. You, you, you don't actually do that. It's whatever you do here doesn't matter. And look at our culture today. It's a, it's a mindset. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what you do. Live your life. Make yourself happy. But it can affect the Christian walk. It can affect the Christian walk by how we live our lives. So the big question is, how can Christians, and we'll get into this truth is not in us in just a minute. We deceive ourselves. How do we, get, how do we stay on the right path? Well, let me give you some, uh, just some of my thoughts this past week. Uh, this is called pastoral theology. It's anchored in biblical truth, of course, but it's, it's, it's ways that I can help you in your walk with Christ. Number one, before you make a decision, see what the Bible says about the subject. In most Bibles, in decent Bibles, this one doesn't have it because it's just a pulpit Bible. But in most Bibles, there is a concordance. And you can go to the concordance and you can look up certain words. So let's say, for example, you decide that you're going to live with your boyfriend outside of marriage. Well, we know that's wrong. We know that's not right. But some Christians are not advanced in their, in their walk, and they don't see any harm in it. All you have to do is just go look in the Bible and, and see where it says, Be holy, for I am holy. That you must, uh, and Paul, if you want to look at it, 1 Corinthians, right, Janet? We're in 1 Corinthians. <laughs> it's a private joke between me and Janet on, on Wednesday night. Uh, 1 Corinthians, they, they had a problem. They had big problems. But if we will get in the Bible and just see what the Bible says about a subject before we do it, it'll keep us on the right path. In fact, I would always point you to the, to the Scripture and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a teacher. Jesus said, I am leaving a helper. He will come and help you in the ways of truth. So you have the Bible and you have the Holy Spirit. One of the best ways, uh, uh, not the best way, but another way is to ask a godly mentor... Or, guess what? You can talk to me. If you're unsure of something that the Bible says, and you can ask the deacons. Jim's pretty solid. I think so. <laughs> Jim's, Jim's solid. Deacon Dave's solid. Deacon Kent's solid. You can ask them, or just ask a godly friend or a mentor how you can stay on the right path before you, and particularly if you have a, 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 a morality question. Those are big, those are big things to, to consider. And it may even be something small. You know, if you roll a snowball and you, it'll keep picking up. So if you start small and you're not doing the right thing small, it, it becomes big and you start getting off track. 
I think this is important too. I probably should have put this number two, pray for God's direction. But I think once you seek the Bible out, once you've looked at what God's word says, you've talked to a godly mentor, then you pray for direction. I'm, I'm not talking about, uh, should I take this job? Should I take this job? Should I do these things? Uh, I, I kind of have the Martin Luther, the Reformed theologians approach to that uh, thought. That is, love God, live as you please. Love God means love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We looked at that last week. And if you're loving God, then wherever you are in your life, you'll be pleasing. And I think God, you know, if, 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 if it looks logical and it has nothing immoral involved where you don't have to fake numbers and you don't have to lie when you're working, then then that, then that becomes a, an issue there. But we're talking about morality. We're talking about some of those issues that come along in our lives. And number four, wash, rinse, and repeat. Don't decide until the above has been done. Again, I don't think there's anything inherently evil about you wanting to have a better station in life as long as it's not getting that better station in life so that you can move away from God. And there was a, a young guy in my first church years ago. I'll, I'll just put it mildly. He was influenced by one of the big guys in our church. Big guy. He had big money. His house was $500,000 plus. He lived in a very nice neighborhood. And he said, boy, if I had that money, just think how much I could give to the church. <laughs> and uh, when I saw him live his life, I'm thinking, you're probably not, probably not going to happen. You're, you're, you're influenced by the wrong guy who's got his, he's got his eye on something that's probably not healthy for him. And uh, they, they became friends, and they also became one of the biggest thorns in my side in that church because I wouldn't play the game with them. Anyway, make, make sure. See what the Bible says. Ask a godly friend or mentor. Pray for God's direction. And then wash, rinse, and repeat. Go back up to the top. Then he mentions here, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Aletheia. Sometimes the word refers to the gospel. Given the nature of the Gnostics' belief about sin, it is probably means a negation of salvation. In their case. Now you say, well, what about believers? True believers. Listen. <laughs> listen. True believers can err and still be believers. True believers can err and wander off the path. Would, would you agree with that? We can make mistakes in our Christian life. And sometimes those mistakes become lifelong issues. Those mistakes, those, the times when we just say, I know God says this, but I'm going to go this direction and do my life the way I want it. And yeah. It, it can lead to lifelong consequences. 
So the object of the Christian life is not to sin, not to go off the beaten path, so to speak. Um, I know our navigators and I, uh, last year, that was when Travis was with us. Travis and his family have since moved to uh, Tennessee. Uh, and the ranger was telling us in this area there are uh, snakes, copperhead snakes. And I put that on Facebook. I'll never do that again because some parents panic. But copperhead snakes, you really need to be off the path. I mean, they may cross a path, but very rarely are you going to see a copperhead walking down the center of a path. Uh, they're mostly off the path. And as you get off the path as believers, you have an opportunity to get yourself into trouble. So the goal, and, and I'm not talking here, I'm not talking here about sinless perfection. We won't reach that. We'll never reach that in this life. But a willful, defiant sin sh will probably have some type of consequence. And in some case, may have a lifelong complication from it. So as believers, we want to stay on the right path. That's, that's the goal. And it doesn't mean that you'll lose your salvation. I, I've, seen, I've seen a lot of junk in 34 years. Um, yes, Christians can fail morally and still be saved, but they made a bad mistake. And, and sometimes, sometimes that happens. The good news this morning, I've talked a lot about sin. The good news this morning is that Christ forgives sin. Christ forgives sin. Notice this is the antidote. This is what the Gnostics needed to get a hold of. They, they needed to get this information because they were not saved. They denied the body of Christ. They denied uh, the, the physical manifestation of Christ on the cross. They didn't believe he was, could possibly be human because Christ cannot be, in their mind, considered evil. So John says, okay, we do sin, Gnostics. And by the way, we sin too every day. But Christ forgives sin. Notice what John writes in verse 9. If we confess our sin, homo gulo, homo gulo. That means, this is interesting, by the way, to acknowledge a fact publicly. Often, I'm just reading right from the Greek, the Greek meaning. To acknowledge a fact publicly, often in reference to previous bad behavior, to admit and confess. I don't know how many sermons I've preached in my life. Um, probably quite a few. Uh, if you calculate a, I don't know, there's 52 weeks in a year, right? allow two weeks vacation 50 times. Somebody do some quick math here. 50, just, just, on, just on preaching sermons. 50 times 34. What does that come out to? Anybody know? It's just How many? Man, John, I need to have you right up here with me, buddy, because we can do some more calculating. About 15,000 sermons. That doesn't include special events. Doesn't include funerals. Doesn't in so 15,000 funerals. Um, huh? Oh, did I say fifteen thousand funerals? No, I didn't. No, I've, I haven't preached. Hopefully, I, 
you know, and I went through a stretch there when we had COVID. I didn't do any funerals. I was so thankful for that because I don't like to see people die and their families hurt and problems. I can't, re I can't remember how many people have ever come to the altar. I think the number's small. And I think sometimes the best place for us on Sunday morning after the sermon is at the altar. It, just to, you know, it's not to keep our salvation. And, and in fact, if you don't know Christ, you should be at the altar this morning. But I've been your pastor 14 years, so I kind of know everybody in this church right now. I'm about 99.9% .9 sure that everybody that's in here this morning is saved. But that doesn't mean that we still don't sin. Back before I was a pastor, I used to go to the altar. That's just me. Did I ever tell you the time I was in a revival? Did I, did I tell you that one? That was when I was in Bible college. This isn't in my notes, just what God's given me at the time. And there was a revival speaker speaking at, uh, what church did Steve pastor? Poplar Springs Baptist Church. I pastored Poplar Head Baptist Church, which was down the road from that. Everything was popular then, I guess. This revival speaker that morning, because I was at, uh, attending that church, that was the church I baptized Summer at. I wasn't the pastor, but the pastor said you should baptize your daughter. And uh, they had this revival speaker come in. And that morning I had a blowout with another female student. We were, <laughs> uh, let's put it mildly, we were, we were not nice to each other. Of course, when you're in Bible college, you know everything. The revival speaker got up, and I was sitting in the third row. Not in here, of course. Right back, right there, the second in. And the revival speaker walked over. I didn't tell him anything about anything. And he went like this. And he goes, if you have something against your brother or sister, you need to go make it right. Now, you know that moment when you're like, I didn't do that. <laughs> My face was all red. He said, don't give your money at the, uh, at the invitation. Get up, leave, and go make it right. I'm sure there were a bunch of eyes on me when I got up and went out the door and I told her I was sorry. Even though to this day, I still believe I was right. But the issue was how I did it. And that, I'm telling you, that, that, that was one moment I was like, you know, you start moving this uncomfortable stuff. And 
you're like looking, uh, I, my face was probably red. And I say, how did this guy know? I, I just kind of played it cool. And then I just, at the end of the service, got up and walked out. I think I told the revival speaker the next night that you got me. <laughs> and, uh, but we worked it out. You know, brothers and sisters, coming to the altar is not a bad thing. It's really a good thing. In salvation, people come forward to receive Christ as Lord and Savior. I just wrote this down. In a sense, it is a public confession of sinfulness. When, when people come forward on Sunday morning to receive Christ, and it's been a while, maybe too long. When I say John or Sally or Bill or Kathy comes this morning, uh, trust, letting the church know that they've trusted in Christ, that's an admission to public sin and a need for the Savior. That's not a bad thing. Coming to the altar is not a bad thing. It is a good thing. And guess what? It is time, it is a time, and maybe I haven't explained this as much as I should. It is a time when you come up here and talk to God about what you heard in the sermon. And I'm still trying after 34 years to figure out at what point does the sermon become divinely inspired. I don't know. Maybe when God speaks to you, uh, God speaking through me, I don't know. I'm a sinner just like you guys and gals. I don't know why he chose me to preach. I didn't choose my calling. He chose me. This is not a bad thing. This is a good thing. It's, it's kind of like in any marriage relationship. You want to keep that marriage relationship right, or, or maybe a close friend. You want to keep that right. So you, you go to them and say, look, I'm, I'm sorry I said this. Sorry I did. That's what this is for. Sometimes people come to the altar to pray for somebody. They just come to the altar to pray for somebody. It has nothing to do with sin in their lives. And let me tell you why I think people shy away from the altar. This is just my, my thoughts here. Because we're talking about the word confess, which means public. I think people don't come to the altar because they're worried about what the other guy thinks about them. And that, that, that should not be. And there's also something positive that can come from talking to God. Acts 3.19, repent then and go to God so your sins may be wiped out and times of refreshing may come from the Lord. That's not just for salvation. That's stuff that we should be doing every day in our lives. Little sins that you know about and you say, I don't, I don't, I don't want people to see this, but ultimately God does. So coming to the altar or praying, uh, asking God to, to forgive you of sin, there's this release I remember I don't know this is Bible college week I guess I remember a pastor he was pastoring a church and it was in Dr. Windsor's class boy I love Dr. Windsor one of my favorites Newt Larson second please don't tell him that um, this, on Monday mornings, they, they let us come to school at 1 o'clock because they knew most of us were pastoring churches. And this guy came to class. He was pastoring a church. 
And he said, I was in a revival this weekend. He's telling the whole class this. There's probably 25 or 30 of us in, in the preaching class. And he said, I was in a revival. Out of state. And I realized. I wasn't saved. And he started crying. And so what we did was we went around him. We laid our hands on him. And we prayed for him. He said, should I resign? And one of the students made an observation. He said, well, if they liked an unsaved pastor, how much more are they going to like a saved pastor. He had been ordained. He went through the whole council. I know you're not supposed to be a novice, but he was in training. And Dr. Windsor said, you go back to your church and tell them what happened. And they will love you. And the church embraced him. We're going to keep you as our pastor. See, that's the issue. Is that we can't be afraid to acknowledge what God already knows. That we do sin. We do stumble. We do struggle. We do make mistakes. And sometimes... It's good to let somebody know about those mistakes. Some mistakes are so major they should only be kept, I do believe, in certain confidences. But brothers and sisters, we all sin. We know it. That's the deal. We do sin. The good news is Jesus Christ came to forgive sin and your sin and mine. All we have to do is go to him. And talk to him. I've my computer up there. I may have to have Brian look at it, but my mouse, my my mouse sometimes it sticks, and so the only way to get it unstuck is to clean out the system. When I do that, when I hit erase or delete, I think it is what delete stuff. And then I run, I'm not trying to promote CC Cleaner, but it seems to work. So when I do that, I get it back and the mouse is working fine. And it's because I had to clean out stuff in order to get it to the right place. Sometimes, brothers and sisters, it's good to come clean and say, God, I sinned. I shouldn't have done this. Nothing wrong with that. Please don't make it a sin to come forward or to talk to God and say, God, I need forgiveness. I made a mistake. I think what's happening in our culture today is people are unwilling to say they've made mistakes. And by the way, we live in a very angry culture. Sometimes we just need to clean it out in our hearts and our lives. 
times of refreshing can come. Christ. Look at what John writes. So after we say, if we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us, John says, look, the easy way to rectify this whole situation is to come to Christ and confess our sins. He is, say it with me, faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Pistas. The word faithful means reliable. I, I don't know why this scripture kept coming up this week when I was studying this. Psalm 27. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Why did the psalmist write that? He wrote that because of all stuff going on in his life. He said, what's going on in my life? There's only one person that's reliable, that's trustworthy. I'm going to trust in him because God is reliable. God will never allow things in your life to get too far when he will show up and fix it. He will not let you go. He's reliable. He's trustworthy. You can always go to him with problems, with sin. God is, Jesus is reliable to act the same way every time. It's not like the father who is sometimes irrational with his children and sometimes good. You never know. When I was a kid growing up, I never knew what kind of, uh, never knew what I was going to get from my father. Was he going to do like this and like he's going to backhand me or is he going to be nice to me? I never knew that. That's no way to live. That's not the Jesus that we worship. The Jesus that we worship is always there, always available, and he is faithful and just. Just. Dikaios is the word just, which means righteous. So when we go to Christ to forgive, and he, is, he alone is able to forgive sin because he is righteous. The only person who is able to forgive sin fully is the person who put it on the cross, paid for it in full, and then he is able to give you imputed righteousness. Only Christ can do that. The word forgive, afiami, means to the remove the guilt resulting from wrongdoing. Again, in my life, I have seen people beat themselves up over sin that they committed, maybe egregious, maybe bad. And they carry that sin with them. And I ask them, have you repented of that sin? Yes. I said, let it go. If you have repented of that sin, 
God is faithful and just to forgive that sin. It is remembered no more in the kingdom of God. And as Jesus told so many, go and sin no more. Live your life for me. Follow me. Yes, you may have done something horrible. But if you brought that under the blood of Christ, it is forgiven in Jesus' name. It is done. It is finished. And I've seen one woman had an abortion. Wrong. Yes. Forgivable. Absolutely. My grandmother, Porter, called me one time. And she asked me, because she knew I was pastoring. At that time, I was pastoring the first church of Satan. <laughs> That's what I call it. She called me and she said, what is the unpardonable sin? Because I think your grandfather just committed it. I said, Mama, what is, we call them Mama and Papa down south. I haven't brought out my y'all yet. But. She said, he's cussing. And I said, Mama, Papa has Alzheimer's. He doesn't know what he's saying. And I said, in an answer to your question, the unpardonable sin, the sin that cannot be forgiven, is the rejection of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That is the only sin that is unforgivable. If you die without Christ, you're going to hell. If you're trusted in Christ, abortion, murder, any sin that you could possibly commit, the Apostle Paul did with the exception of abortion, and who knows? They say that abortion is not mentioned in the Bible. Yes, it is in the Old Testament. God writes, if you hurt a pregnant woman, it's a sin. That's in there. I'm going to let you go find it this week. I know, I know where it is. But I don't have the verse on me right now, but I know where it is. It's in the Bible. All sin is forgivable. Hear me. No matter what the sin is, it is forgivable, but you have to ask forgiveness of the sin. And when we do that, he cleanses us. Catharizo, to purify something and clean it out. This is Les Stroud. This is, this is my boy. I've watched all of his stuff and then watched it three or four times over. This is when he was in Mexico. And you can't see it, but like right in here, there's water. The problem is the water is salt. And so he went along the beach, he said, or along the sand, sand line there, the beach, whatever you want to call it. And he found... He found this bucket, and he found this old, it, stuff washes up. It's kind of amazing. He said, you find, he, he's found lighters, he's found all kinds of stuff. So what he did was, he dug a trench right here. You, 
maybe can't see it. And he took the water and he pours it in here and gets this nice and hot. And what happens is at the end of this, it purifies the water. It removes the salt from it. You have to keep the fire going, obviously. But it purifies the salt. It takes the salt out so it's drinkable. Rather ingenious. Well, there's a system here, Katharizo, where God purifies us. And how does he do that? He does that by the blood of Christ. Purifies us, cleans us. This is not about do this and keep your salvation. This is do this because of your salvation. Big difference. Some people live in fear. If I make a mistake, hello, you make mistakes and sin every day. So what should we take from this? Number one, we should always repent of known sin. That's not to keep your salvation. I've heard fundamentalist pastors talk about this. And if, if you've got sin in your life, you're not going to heaven. I don't know how he's going to get in because he has sin in his life. Not to keep our salvation, but to maintain a healthy spiritual life. Failure to repent of sin leads us off the right path and always, always into some type of trouble. And sometimes those troubles are lifetime events. If we go to Christ and seek his forgiveness, he will fully pardon your sin and mine. Once forgiven... We never bear that sin again. And it is not remembered by God.